0: Now, podcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the
1: world, around the world. it's the Sins Nation podcast. From praising Alfie to Brady Kachuk and everything in between. If it matters to Sins fans, we're talking about it right here. And now, here's Steve Warren.
0: All right, welcome to Sens Nation. Coming up today, Connor Brown can't stop, won't stop. The NHL trade deadline looms. How many guys have played their final game for the Senators? Shane Pinto about to make his Sens debut. Uh, He is a runner-up for the Hobie Baker Award, though. And uh, back to the deadline for a second. We'll get into history, some of the more memorable trade deadline deals the Sens have made over the last 20 years. Welcome to the proceedings. We hope you enjoy the show. It's Steve along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. How are things, Greg? You're playing some hockey.
1: We are playing hockey, Steve. We're now officially one and one. We played both Friday night and Saturday night against the a uh, home and home with the Northern Alberta Tomahawks, and we're one and one, and we're well on our way and just so happy to just be playing hockey. Yeah, that's
0: fantastic. And let's just, to give people perspective, um, you are the head coach of the Slave Lake Ice Dogs, Yes. Uh, Basically moving from Ottawa to Slave Lake,
1: Alberta. How long ago did you do that to now finally coach some hockey? I was here 139 days before we played a game. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I got here like late November. It didn't exactly get off to a smooth start, did it? <laughs> no, we um we played Friday night, and the uh, the arena staff refused to let us play until he received an email from the government of Alberta with a signed a signed copy of our exemption, which we which we applied for and got through uh, Alberta Health, right. and um, Alberta Health told us we'd have it before the start of the game. The game was supposed to be at four thirty. And we're all standing around waiting for it. And it's 4.30, 5 5.00, o'clock, 5.30. And we're thinking it's Friday. It's 5.30. It's the government. Nothing's going to happen. <laughs> Finally, by 6 o'clock, we said, okay, we give up, boys. Let's get undressed. And I got guys in the shower. When the email came in at 6.15, so all we can figure is that the government thought we weren't playing till 7.30, and we're going to wait and send it later for drama or something, so so we scrambled and and got back on the ice and played a game and, and won, so there we are. Very nice. Well, glad
0: to hear it. Uh, we should jump in today, though, Greg, and uh, let's start today on the Sens Nation podcast by bouncing it back to Saturday in Toronto.
1: Called for it, may have a step here, trying to cut in. Wrapped it in front, scores! Connor Brown, seven straight games with a goal, and the lead now one. All right,
0: so that clip courtesy of CBC slash Sportsnet, Connor Brown with a team record seven-game goal-scoring streak. For those scoring at home, he shared the record with a bunch of other guys at six with Drake Batherson, who did it earlier this year, Daniel Offertson, Jason Spezza, Danny Heatley, and Bob Kodelski. <laughs> and of all the guys, Greg, to set a team goal-scoring streak record Connor Brown of all people I mean how many times have we talked about episode, in, in episodes this year about how snake bidden that guy seemed to be around this, uh, the other team's net
1: yeah it, it's pretty impressive huh it, it, you, you look at that list of people and you're like uh everybody seems to fit on that list except maybe uh Bob kadelski and uh and Connor Brown but you know the, the kid did put up stats he he had a decent career in in uh, Erie of the OHL playing with Connor McDavid. Um, he did very well in Toronto playing on a, on the top line all the time. He really is a, um, a Swiss army knife. He can play anywhere in your lineup, up or down your lineup, third line, fourth line, second line. He can certainly play in a top line role. He's done that before too. He kills penalties. He gets power play time. So yeah, he, he and, and as we've said all year, man, he gets a lot of opportunities. I'm sure he leads the NHL in breakaways, so it's kind of a surprise, but it's not really a surprise because he's, he's a guy who gets a lot of minutes and a lot of shots and a lot of chances, so it makes sense that, you know, if he could bury a few, why can't he score every night?
0: He's got a couple of years left on his contract, so we're not having the discussion we had this time last year at the NHL trade deadline about J.G. Pajo. Pajo was up for a new contract and ended up getting traded to the Islanders for a first-rounder and uh, immediately signing with the Islanders, I think it was a $5 million a year contract over five or six, one of the two. We had the discussion at that time here on the show about the value of a guy like JG Pajo. Can he be part of your Stanley cup solution moving forward? If he slotted right. Um, and you know, does the money fit right now? It does right now for, uh, for Connor Brown. I, I know he's a Swiss army knife, but I still feel like that guy can be part of anybody's Stanley cup recipe. He can be a real nice ingredient in that where are you with Connor Brown? Are you still in the same kind of mode you were with JG Pajo and that you only want to pay so much for that type of player?
1: Yeah. I, I, yes, exactly. Um, yes. He's part of a Stanley cup team. He's part of a team that can, that can win a cup in a third line role, probably in a third line checking winger uh, penalty killer. Maybe he's a net front guy in a second power play unit, but he's the kind of guy you need. You need these, these types of players to win and he can go up and down your lineup. Like, I think back to, remember when Zach Smith was here and there was a whole whack of injuries and suddenly he was the number one center for a couple of weeks? You'll, you'll know better than I what year that was, but he put up some decent stats. Yeah, I think he had a 25-goal season, I think. Yeah, you know, it, Connor Brown's the same type of player. Honest, hard-working guy, got a little bit of skill on the offensive side, definitely has a high hockey IQ and can play anywhere in your lineup, and he's the kind of guy you need if you're going to win, you just don't want him on your top line regularly. You don't even want him on your second line regularly. If you were playing on a top two or three team in the league, uh, he's probably playing on the third line. If he's on the first line, it's only because he's there to as a defensive presence with two studs. Otherwise, he's a third line guy. So now you have to factor in, all right, how much do we pay a third line guy? And that's where you might have a bit of a problem here. Uh, down the road, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure you were trying to remember what it is that he's, what, what is he making right now? Do you remember? I think he's around three and a half, three, eight. Uh, you're absolutely right. He's making three, six. So that's not bad. Like, not a problem at all with that kind of money. I hear everything you're saying. I
0: still maintain, and I, he he certainly can help be a defensive presence. But I also think that there's a chance that that guy, because even more than J.G. Pajot, he's creating all the time. You've mentioned before about does that guy drive a line in our conversations, for example, about Yevgeny Dagnov, right. and the answer is no. Whereas Connor Brown is driving lines right now, whatever line he's on, like he's not only a great defensive presence, but he's making crap happen. The Josh Norris goal. Like Connor Brown won't be on the score sheet for an assist on that, but he's the guy that went into the corner with two leafs, went down in a heap, big mess, and Forced a turnover that ended up on Norris's stick. Um, Sorry, first it went out to, I think it was Bathurston, and then out to Norris. But, you know, making stuff happen, creating chances, and, you know, he'll be well off, in my theory here, well off what his two line mates will do as far as actual stats go, maybe. But I still think that that guy might have a home on a top six situation.
1: Yeah, again, like I said, with skill players, right? Like, like yes, he is your stereotypical third-line grinding winger. But if you've got two high-end skill guys, he will fit in very nicely and complement them. He provides the defensive conscience. He provides the pressure. He's an F1 presence. Um, and you're right. both the, the first goal yesterday was purely from four-check pressure. Um, that's the kind of game that he plays. He really fits in. To the kind of game that it's obvious that DJ Smith wants this team to play, so that's benefiting him as well, right? His his minutes are higher than they've probably ever been in his career, and he's benefiting from it. So, like, like when he played Toronto, he certainly played top line minutes off and on, sort of in the Zach Hyman role. Um, And when he played junior, he played with Connor McDavid. He's a guy that like we've said over and over can play up and down your lineup. And yes, I agree with you. He could play in the top six, but again, it's who he plays with in the top six and a, and a set role. The minute he tries to become an offensive player and stops doing what he does, he won't be in the top six anymore. Right? No, I don't think
0: that he would abandon things and become Mike Hoffman or anything like that. (laughs) I think he'd still be the same player. I just think that because he creates so much as, as, as well as having a defensive presence, I think he'd be a really interesting mix in an unconventional sort of way. You don't see it so much in 2021 anymore. Everybody's just like, you're a top six guy. I want six guys who are all skill all the time, you know, big numbers, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, if we go back in our way back machine to back in in, in your formative years, when you were an Islander fan, who was playing with Mike Bossy and Brian Trottier? Not exactly the best skill guy in the world in Clark freaking Gillies. Yeah, true, true.
1: Yeah, and, and Connor Brown has scored uh, twenty goals in the NHL twice. Right, uh, he he's, he scored twenty with the Marlies as a kid, as a rookie. Um, so yes, he has hands. He really is. We're going to say it again. He is a Swiss Army knife, and 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 he will play, and he will always have a job in the NHL.
0: Now the game itself. I don't want to turn this into a uh, Connor Brown loving. Although I am a big fan, uh, I'm I'm not sure he might not be their MVP so far this year. But uh, there was one element in the game I wanted to talk about, and that uh, it felt like a good. I mean, it was a good game. Six five. I love the scoring. You can give me a six five game every night, thank you. You know, as much as I love a two one game, says no one. The Sens only actually had, even though it felt like a back and forth game, they had the lead for all of 27 seconds, because once again, the superstars came back to haunt the Sens. They'd just gotten Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl out of their hair, and then all of a sudden it's Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews doing their thing. Matthews scores twice in the first period, and it was weird. Like, the first period, it was all sends all the time. They were, like, forechecking great. They were hustling. They were hard work, and then missing opportunity after opportunity, and then suddenly the Leafs go the other way, and then bing, bing. uh, The skill comes out to shine. Uh, Matthew scores a pair, ends up with a hat trick on on the evening. I know they're superstars, Greg, but there has to (laughs) be a way to to shadow them, something, force somebody else to beat you than the superstars. Over and over again this year, whether it's Toronto or Edmonton, you're letting two guys beat you
1: consistently night after night. Well, it's a combination of things, okay? It's a combination of inexperience um, throughout the senator lineup as a defensive forward or even as a defensive shutdown defenseman. You don't have a lot of them. But when you do have them, they're often in the lineup, that is, on the team, in the roster, they're old and slow, right? Like good uh, Goodbranson, um, e- even, um, why, why am I drawing a blank? A Coburn, Coburn, like they're older and they're slower. These are guys who in their day would have taken on that assignment and done the job. Um, up front, you do not have, other than Connor Brown, uh, the type of player that you're looking for who can do that job. You know, maybe it's a it's a tyranny, but he is. I don't want to say he's old because he's not, but he's certainly slow. Um, you don't really have those kinds of players yet in an Ottawa Senator lineup, and it was just so evident yesterday. You had the Stutzla goal off the face off there with. What about three and a half to play in the in the second period, and it's all right, boys. You're up by a goal. Let's just get these three minutes over with, and you got a lead going into the third. And instead, the big boys Marner and Matthews came back to play and potted two in the last three minutes. And oh God, here we go. You know, it just it was a it was like men versus boys again. It just turns into a bit of a, a you know what show in the defensive zone from time to time when these guys start wheeling around and making things happen. Yeah,
0: you're hoping that the Battle of Ontario is on its way to a good place. It was an exciting hockey game in the here and now, but you can't get past the fact that the Leafs are one of the best teams in the NHL, and the Sens, as of today, they're second-last overall in the league. And if you look at uh, things from uh, a points perspective, they have 30 points at what would be right now the midway point of any normal long regular season, so on pace for 60 points roughly, and that would be basically be their worst output points-wise since the 2017 Eastern Conference Final. So the rebuild that was supposed to take a massive step forward, as Pierre Dorian put it, well, it hasn't done so from a points perspective, though there's some things to love, obviously, because the kids, they've been using that kids are all right motto in recent seasons. I really feel like that's truly the case now. You look at some of the players that were scoring in that game. um, Stutzel, like you mentioned, he, he uh wires one top corner he was jumping all night he had a nice assist on the batherson goal by the way that that stutzler goal was his first goal in almost a month uh Norris scored wow. Formanton got a shorthanded goal and you know, doing what he does best and that's out skating people so i mean i think this battle of ontario is going to be uh, if not now very soon as the Sens get m- considerably better uh, they're going to have the weapons to at least hang with these guys if they do get into a a real track meet out there.
1: Yeah, like uh, it, uh, it's it's cliche, but the kids are all right. And what you've got coming forward, I know we're going to talk about it later, but what gets done here at the trade deadline, probably a couple of guys are going to be shuffled out. You got Pinto coming in, you got JBD coming in. Um it, it, they're going to get their 20 games here to finish the season. I would think Branstrom is probably going to play every single game the rest of the year, I would hope. I would hope there's a resolution on Logan Brown at some point and next season will be okay. The, the kids are all right. So you mentioned the trade deadline and
0: we're looking at April 12th. That's a 3 PM deadline to things. And I guess the question that Sens fans have, and I I have my own thoughts on it, but I'll start with you. Will the Sens do something? Should they do
1: something? Where are you at? I mean, it'll depend what they're going to get. And, and it it also, let's face it. We're not in the room. We don't know what long-term projections are, but if long-term projections down the middle of the ice for this team are um, Norris, Stutzla, um, help me out, Pinto. Pinto, Pinto, If depending on what you see coming up down the middle of the ice, is a Chris Tierney now expendable? Mm-hmm. Depending on what you see happening on your left D, is a Mike Riley now expendable? you also have to get into your crystal ball and figure out what kind of money does Mike Riley, is he going to want? Is he going to be demanding in this offseason? So there's a guy, I I think Tierney and Riley are the two guys who can maybe get you something. I'm not saying it's going to be anything great. You know, maybe Riley can get you a third round draft pick. Maybe Tierney can get you a third round draft pick. Um, I got to believe that Ryan Dezingle is something that can get, I don't know, does he get as high as a second? Pierre Dorian seems to do quite well in trading Ryan DeZingle. So maybe he gets something <laughs> decent for him. Um, but I'm thinking he's probably more like a fourth or or maybe a prospect. Uh, because you've got Formanton, because you've got Kachuk, because you probably got Paul who's gonna play on the left side. you know he it, it, do you really need zingle? Um, is Anton Forsberg gonna get you something? I he's definitely expendable, but I don't know what you're gonna get for him. And Eric Goodbranson is a guy who could be moved. He's making way too much money, though, so they might have to eat something. But you're probably not getting anything more than a a fifth or a sixth. So there's there's lots of things here that can be moved, but whether or not they're going to be moved, I don't know. It, it's gonna come down to what they're how how low a draft pick is Pierre Dorion willing to accept. for for some of these players.
0: I think you have to almost be in clearance mode anyway, right? Even if the deal isn't exactly what you'd like, you've got to clear out some bodies to make way for some guys who might come up from the minors or Pinto and Bernard Docker. They're almost done their quarantines now, and they're going to join the team as well. It's a fair answer because uh, you really don't know. You're not in the room. Um, Another thing you don't know is what's being offered. Right. Because I've done a couple of – Radio hits, and people have asked that very question the way I asked it of you. They basically said, so what do you think the Sens are going to do? And I'm like, well, they could do anything, really, because everybody's for sale. Everybody. Um, Say Brady Kachuk. That would be extremely unpopular. However, if the price is right, literally everything is for sale. So it's hard to know exactly. But dealing in realistic terms, because anybody wants Kachuk would have to give up King's ransom. Dealing in realism the Sens probably aren't going to do anything meaningful because anybody that the Sens are willing to deal really won't fetch you much back as you indicated, right? Exactly. And there's not going to be much of a market for them to start with. So I look at that as pretty much, you know, doing nothing at the deadline. And uh, and obviously there's, there's lots of people would be interested, but, you know, all these blue chip prospects, they're all right now in the midst of a rebuild untouchable. So I wouldn't expect it to be a particularly... Uh, crazy day for the Sens. It might be interesting, you know, a couple of guys being moved out, and and you mentioned Tierney, Riley. Those are a couple of the names that I think might have value to other teams. Still, what are you getting though? Second, yeah. third rounder. You almost, uh, I, I guess, I guess I, I still make that deal, but uh, it's going to be an interesting day, all, all in all, because it's like no deadline day we've ever seen before. You've got teams that'll have an eye on the expansion draft and maneuvering that way, but uh, you're limited. Like, unless guys are on their expiring deals, anybody with term left, those guys are going to be harder than ever to bring into your team because, I mean, GMs will have plans, you know, plans for this year and for next year and beyond, and and you don't have the luxury of a salary cap that's going to be increasing next year, and it always is. But this year, because of COVID and no ticket sales, the salary cap will stay exactly where it is, so it's pretty tough to add money right now to your payroll for any player that you're excited about that could help you for this stretch run just because you don't have more money being added to your cap situation and you're going to have to really do some juggling to bring anyone with term in.
1: Yeah, which, which explains why every single player we've talked about, with the exception of Chris Tierney, has no term left at all. <laughs> you're just paying them a portion of this year's salary. Tierney's got one year left at three and a half but uh, Riley's a UFA, Branson's a UFA, Dezingle's a UFA, um, Coburn's a UFA. Uh, I apologize, I'm not sure about Forsberg, but Forsberg's yes. going to be tough to trade because he'd have to clear waivers. Because you claimed him off waivers, before you can trade him, you have to put him through waivers again. So that may be difficult for him to move. But I, I think that if, even even Artie Party he's making like four and a half, but you've only got to pay him about a million or 2 million max for, for what's left for this season. Is he for sale? Of course he is. Is anybody going to be buying him? I don't think so. Right. And if right. they are buying them, they're giving you a sixth or a seventh. So it's just going to come down to, I got to believe also that most of the players we're talking about are any suitors, second, third or fourth choice right? Like I'm going out looking for a hockey player, looking for a left D. Mike Riley's not at the top of my list. He's probably fourth or fifth on my list. Okay. If we don't get X, Y, or Z, let's circle back and call Pierre, right? So that will factor into it as well. What other kind of moves happen from other teams out there first will dictate whether you're going to make any more, uh, any moves at all here in Ottawa, because let's face it, what, what Stanley cup contender, thinks that a guy who can, who is expendable from the worst team in the NHL is going to exactly help them. Right. Let's just say in general, you're another GM
0: who's not Pierre Dorian, and you go shopping, and you see someone you like with the Sens, and you bring that player to your team. Is that player likely – like, are you excited about that? As in, like, okay, he's been – released from this hockey purgatory of a team that's in second last overall, tough season behind him, and now he's part of a contender, and he's excited. Do you think he'll be that kind of player, or will he be the kind of player who's just beat up and exhausted mentally and just checked out and not really much use moving forward this season?
1: No, I I think any senator player that gets traded will will bring a sense of of renewal to whatever team he goes to. Um, especially if it's a contender, if, if, uh, if a Ryan Dezingle, let's say gets traded to a team that's in the top five or six in the league, uh, he will automatically bring a sense of energy there that will fire that team up. And like this guy's excited to be here and he'll, he'll want to be there. And he's the other one who can bring you something. And and the one trade I keep looking at is that, uh, Debrusque brusque their, uh, I want to say Louis, but that's the father Jake Jake debrusque is apparently available in Boston. Boston is apparently looking for some type of somebody who can bring some offense uh maybe a Dezingle and a defenseman could get you a Jake debrusque how's hmm. that there There's my one bold I'll throw it out there. I'd be interested in see if maybe that that can't happen. What do you think? I don't hate it <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: but I think a lot more will need to leave town. In Ottawa, than that to get Jake DeBrusque. <laughs> yeah, you never know. We never know. The one that was, as long as we're talking about possibilities, as a sideline here, a bunch of guys went on waivers today, uh, including Cody Bo- Go- 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 Goloboff, who uh, who's been he's been in Belleville uh, every game this year, and the club signed him today. Gets a two way <laughs> contract, and uh, don't let me get forget to get back to my possibility here. Uh, but okay. Goloboff basically signs a two way deal and has to clear waivers, I guess, because he was signed in season, something along those lines, which I find very odd. But it, it does seem to th- indicate that he's expected to report to the Sens in a taxi squad or, a, or I don't know, even on the main team at some point here in the next little while, which would suggest they're about to maybe move out a defenseman. Or maybe not, because honestly, <laughs> it makes my head hurt to think about to think about the rules and the strategy behind roster shuffling and such in the National Hockey League. But uh, the possibility I wanted to talk about was another guy who's on waivers right now, and that's Montreal Canadiens defenseman Victor Mete. Yeah. Is there any interest there? Because he's on waivers, and he's only 22. He's a left-shot defenseman who's not very big. And I think they already have a pretty good handle on left-shot defensemen who aren't very big or at least not very physical. (laughs) They just ship one of those guys to the L.A. Kings and Christian Molanin. he does play the right side, though, and at 22, I wonder, do you think there's any value in the Sens maybe taking a free look at him because his contract does expire at the end of this year?
1: Yeah, I, well, that'll come down to what happens with Mike Riley, um, yeah. and, and that will come down to what's our plans with Eric Branstrom. I, I, I want to see Branstrom play every one of the last 20 games right here in Ottawa, um, if, if that is the way they are thinking. And if they are thinking, it's a shame, really, that you couldn't get Bernard Docker in sooner, right? And see and make an evaluation on him. But you could, you could conceivably see it being uh, Branstrom and JBD and Shabbat playing your left side for the rest of the season, depending on what happens with Riley. Do you go get a Victor Mette? There's a lot of baggage there. There's a, you know, he's a little bit of an enigma. Now, he sounds a lot like a Branstrom without quite the press clippings. So I, I, I'm not sure. But again, you you hit the nail on the head. It's a freebie. You claim him off waivers. He's a freebie in your lineup. You don't, all you got to do is pay his salary uh, to have a look at him. Then you don't have to worry about him for next year. So it, it'll come down to what kind of players they trade out and what, you know, what kind of holes are they going to need to fill by the end of the day on Monday. Right.
0: And they'll have to make that decision probably before because these guys will have cleared waivers uh, on Monday at noon and the deadline is at three o'clock on Monday. So they'll have to you can always
1: circle back though and make a deal, right? Sure. It clears waivers. You can, uh, Allah, um, we'll line in. Uh, we'll add it. Yeah. You, you, clear waivers, you circle back around and somebody showed some interest and oh Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's make a deal.
0: Now back to the deadline day deals. I thought it'd be fun because, again, we're not really expecting this deadline to be crazy active for the Sens, you know, maybe some smaller deals going down. But, uh, you know, in the past, if we look at the last 20 years, the Sens have made some really interesting deadline day deals. And the way, just for the sake of argument, I'm not going to say like it's 15 minutes before the actual deadline. I've opened it up to the month leading up to the deadline. (laughs) Fair enough. So because they're all I mean, that's part of why it goes down, right? Some want to get a jump on the deadline and and get what they need early so they don't have to uh, deal with the great unwashed masses. So uh, I included uh, a number of um, number of deals that are a month out from the deadline. And probably the most memorable Senator deadline day deal would be the one that occurred two years ago, and that would be Mark Stone, basically for Eric Brandstrom. Greatest day in the GM life of Pierre Dorian, as he said at the time. And so far, it looks like that is... Um, In the process, anyway, I'll never say never. I always wait about five years before I make a judgment on a deal at least. But it feels like that's in the process of blowing up in the team's face. Such a popular player in stone. There is one saving grace beyond Branstrom getting his act together and getting to the NHL and being the player Pierre Dorian thought he could be, in that you also get a second-round draft pick in there, which became Igor Sokolov, who had a hat-trick here in the last week. And so that's also a guy that could help that deal along, mitigate some of the negative feelings about it. But uh, that would be probably, if I'm looking at the last 20 years, and, and for all the wrong reasons, the most memorable <laughs> SENS deadline day deal I can recall.
1: Oh, for sure. A huge, huge trade. I mean, you're uh, a fan favorite um, and a team that's not doing well and in seller mode as opposed to some of your other earlier deadline deals that were a, a team on the rise and a team making a run for something, trying to acquire some help for a stretch drive and for playoffs. Uh, but none of those earlier deals ever involved anybody of the stature of a Mark Stone, simply because you were the seller, right? Although <laughs> earlier deals that the Senators made in their history, they were the buyer, so the bigger name was usually coming in as opposed to going out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Vegas sure was happy with that. They they were so happy they gave the guy a massive 8-year uh, contract with 9 million dollars a season and that big capital letter C that he now applies to his left shoulder on a nightly basis. <sighs> what about you? Yeah. What about uh, what what uh, what grabs you as a memorable Sens deadline day deal?
1: Well, I go all the way back to the uh to the Tom Barrasso trade uh back in the 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 uh the trade deadline of 99-2000 where the Senators were, were making a run for it and uh, and were, were serious about contending for a Stanley Cup and about winning something and and traded out another fan favorite, I guess, there in, in Ron Tugnut and brought in Tom Barrasso, a, a proven NHL netminder with some serious pedigree and a couple of Stanley Cups to his credit. Um, I thought that was like a sign, let's say, in a, yeah, there's a signpost on the side of the road as you drive down going through your Ottawa Senator history. And that may have been the first time that where the people of Ottawa could go, Hey, Whoa, we're, we're in the big leagues now, you know, we're making a big deal at the deadline because we got a serious contender here. And I, I thought that was, that's the biggest one that's always stood out for me anyway.
0: Yeah, that was memorable for sure. And I wonder, I mean, I don't know the story behind it, but you look at Tom Barrasso's stats He played seven games in the regular season after the deadline for the Sens and then into the playoffs. He was quite good. I remember thinking at the end of it, well, what went down there, a six-game loss to the Leafs in the first round, the start of the Battle of Ontario. That really was not on Tom Barrasso's shoulders. He was not the reason they lost that series. So he, he did a good job and then was gone. And then I looked at the following season. Where did he play next season? If he didn't come back to the Sens, he didn't play anywhere. He had a wrist injury that took him out for the entire oh. year. And I don't know if it was like I don't know if it was an injury in the offseason or something that was wear and tear that occurred. And maybe he wasn't at his 100 percent best with the Sens. Don't know, but he I thought he was fine in that playoff series. So I thought worth taking a shot. It's not like Ron tugnut went on and and uh and you know played twenty more years in the league. I think uh he had that he had that time in Pittsburgh where he's in the five overtime game. So he did have some days ahead, but not not a guy that uh, played forever after that. So I thought, it, yeah, it's expensive to a degree, but it was definitely worth taking a shot.
1: Oh, yeah. He played six games. Uh, let's The Senators only scored 10 goals in those six games. Uh, Brasso gave up 16. Uh, I just looked it up. Save percentage of 9.05, and it goes against a 2.58, which at that time in the NHL is pretty damn good numbers. Um, there was one blowout game. But the rest of the series, was there was a couple of 2-1 games. It was an overtime 2-1 game, I think. Um, No, he was not the reason they lost. He played very well for this team, and it was a shame, yet again, you know, lost to the Leafs. Same old, same old. The other one that grabbed me,
0: even though it didn't amount to a hill of beans, really, (laughs) in the big picture, was the Dion Phaneuf deal. It was two reasons why that one stands out as memorable, not because of how it resulted, basically all 10 players. You know, if you look it up, all 10 players were either minor leaguers and stayed minor leaguers, or guys who were at the end. And the two things that made it interesting was that it was a 10-player swap and the fact that the Sens had just acquired the captain of their hated rival. <laughs> so at the time, I thought, this was crazy. And this one happened like three, four weeks before the actual deadline. And uh, it was a named guy, and he comes in and... uh I thought it was very, very interesting and memorable for that reason. But up and down, you look at the guys the Leafs got, for example, Milan McCulloch, Jared Cowan, Colin Greening. There's a bunch of minor league guys involved in it as well. They didn't exactly go on to (laughs) greater things. And for had a couple of, you know, he had some moments in his two years here. But within two years of that deadline, the Sens sent him away again. And by the way, uh, paid him to go play for the LA Kings. In fact, at <laughs> yeah. this very day, they still have. I think this year they have another 1.4 million to pay Dion Phaneuf this year, and then something like 350 grand for each of the next two years after this. So it did not work out in any way, shape, or form. Phaneuf, you know, had a big overtime goal. I think it was or late in the game. Might have been an overtime goal. It was OT in the play? Yeah. So he he had some moments, but overall, it was much ado about nothing, in my opinion.
1: But it was one of you. You could probably trace it back. Uh, It may be one of the first trades of the uh, cap era that was simply done for shuffling money around. Uh, The Leafs were looking to get some cap relief somehow. (laughs) Excuse me. So they took a Jared Cowan in there, uh, injured, wasn't going to play. They took Colin Greening and Milan McCallick and just pretty much put them in the minors um, just to get some cap relief and get out from under. Dion's contract I remember the only real player in there that that I was mildly concerned that the Sens were giving up was the um the Swede that was playing in Oshawa was he not in that deal oh uh Uh, Tobias Tobias Lindbergh yeah Uh, uh, the kid had scored 30 or 35 goals in Oshawa and I thought okay this this guy might be a player he was the only one I was concerned with that they gave up but uh fortunately really didn't become anything but he was the only real skill guy of the ten in the whole trade, it's interesting
0: when you're talking about salary shuffles, right? And that that certainly is true of the FNUF Finuf deal. Um, they made they made a similar one in the whole, you know, C, CC for Zaitsev Brown. Um, yeah, you know, and, and it's funny if you're making those types of deals to you know int- improve your cap situation and such. It's weird that there be two hated rivals that are doing it um, yeah. on what seems like a common basis. Okay, so uh Dean Onfanoff in that mix as well. Uh any others that grabbed you? Uh we'll maybe do five uh, here.
1: Yeah, I don't know. You you um you put out a list here. Obviously, Anderson for Elliot. That's a that's a huge trade in the history of the franchise, not necessarily for any success that it brought or any great cup runs or anything, but um twenty seventeen. Yeah, you 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 I've never been a fan of Brian Elliott. I, I've never understood how he gets puts up some of the numbers that he puts up, uh, depending on the defensive team that's in front of him. That was a huge trade. Uh, Anderson comes in here, and I believe his first game was in Toronto with a shutout, um, and, and just stabilized the goaltending position here for a very long time. Yep, no question about that. And uh, the 2017
0: run will be his crown and glory. Yeah. And that uh, not only does he help them and play as well as he did as part of that 2017 run, but also doing so under the shadow of a difficult home life situation where his wife Nicole was dealing with cancer and uh, was, I think, at some stage in the playoff run, cleared of cancer. And uh, it was a pretty special time. And I'd say that, you know, with due respect to Patrick Laleem, that's your greatest goalie in Sen's history as far as body of work goes. So if you can get that for Brian Elliott, who's had some moments too, don't get me wrong. Brian Elliott's had some good moments in the NHL, but uh, I think the the Sens win that deal quite handily in that they had their starting goalie for the next decade. Uh, so as you mentioned, there's a list that I put out. Um, others include JG Pajot for a first-rounder with the Islanders, Matt Duchesne for Abramov, Davidson, and the first-round pick that would be Lassie Thompson. The Derek Broussard deal to Pittsburgh, that was huge in that they... You know, they righted what looks like a a wrong Brassard for Zabanajad. Most people look at that as, ooh, that wasn't the best of deals. But to spin Brassard and effectively get Jacob Bernard Docker and Philip Gustafson, who's recently come on and looked so good, maybe that deal has still, um, you know, a little something, something to it, even though Zabanejad is a big miss because he's exactly what the Sens could use (laughs) right now. Big center, putting puck in the net. Um, Anyway, uh, those are some of the other guys we brought up. And uh, Conacher for Bishop is the last one I'll go to as far as memorable deals go. It's funny, at the time, I really liked it. I was like, Corey Conacher, wow. I really liked him as a a Tampa Bay Lightning. But uh, he was one of those guys that had tremendous line mates riding shotgun with him, as with the Bobby Ryan case, as with the Alex Chiasson case, kind of falling in love with a player who is uh, a bit of a passenger on the line that he's been placed on in the former team comes to Ottawa. Not so much. Whereas Ben Bishop's gone on to a pretty good career. Uh, but at the at the time I remember thinking, okay, that's kind of cool. That's not so bad.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was a terrible trade then, and it remains a terrible trade. Come on. Corey Conacher was never going to be anything, anything more than what he was when he was here in Ottawa and, and Ben Bishop, that was, that was simply a numbers game. We've got all these goalies. We need to make a choice. And I think in retrospect, you could probably say they made the wrong choice. Oh,
0: God. Yeah. Yeah. I'd yeah. say so. And I, and I, and, the, but I challenge you on the, on the not liking it initially. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. in your face as an ugly deal at the time because Conacher was pretty well regarded at that stage. I mean, he came out of the gate, I think one, the year that they acquired him with, uh, with a really good start, like point a game close to that. But at the time it happened, I didn't know how good Ben Bishop was going to be. And uh, I just uh, thought Conacher was going to be a, a good player without having scouted or anything like that. I just assumed that uh, that his uh, numbers and the excitement level. I, I, my point is, I think there was it wasn't on the day of the deal seen as the disaster that it is
1: now. <laughs> All right. Okay. Fine. I'll Thank give you that. Thank the guy you. had nine goals in thirty-five games in Tampa. But before that- they acquired him, yeah, I know.
0: 9 goals in 35 games were his point totals.
1: 9 was, 15 24. 24 points in 35 games for Tampa. Right. So, and if okay. you look
0: and if you I think if you look at his game log, uh, you know, lead Yeah. Like go it was back probably a, month, a big
1: one against Ottawa in there.
0: Yeah, and, and I bet you his point totals were hovering around close to a point a game at some point, which created the hype machine which got people Correct. excited about the player and Tampa then used that to take advantage of the Sens uh to go get themselves a nice goaltender.
1: And and uh, we say that the Sens maybe made a poor decision uh, as to which goaltender because it was it was between Leonard and Bishop essentially um,
0: and Anderson.
1: Well, I think Anderson was the had been the number one and was going to be the number one. Um, yeah, I guess you could say it came down to all three. One's got to go. Which one should we move out? And um, and they chose Bishop. So in retrospect, would you go back to 2020 hindsight and say, you know what? Let's keep Bishop and move Leonard? Yeah. I don't know.
0: If you're curious, they they basically turned Robin Leonard into Colin White.
1: Yes, they did. Yeah, exactly.
0: So that's, uh, and they brought in what, Legwand, I think, as well? Yeah, that's
1: yeah, correct. There you go. Uh,
0: so there's some memorable Senator Deadline Day deals as we look back over the last 20 years. You could also look at Commodore and Stillman for Corvo and Eves, or the great Pascal Leclerc for Antoine uh-huh. Vermette. And, man, Leclerc, he sure looked like a great goalie in in Columbus. But, uh, well, one of those guys, one of the many goalies who benefited from playing for Ken Hitchcock and his systems and uh, came to Ottawa, didn't even really get a chance to suck because he's hurt (laughs) all the freaking time.
1: He got hurt sitting on the bench. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) All right. So after the 6-5 loss in Toronto, I threw a poll up because it seems like every game now, Greg, and and we've certainly talked about him quite a bit this year in the podcast. Thomas Shabbat's name pops up to the good of the bad. And a lot lot of Shabbat haters, not haters, that's probably strong, but people disappointed in Shabbat's play this season have been poking their head up here in the last little while. So I I finally put a poll up, and I tried to make it as objective as possible. You never want to lead the witness. But I put a poll (laughs) up on Twitter, and uh, 1,200 people voted on it. I said, Thomas Shabbat. I didn't even say anything. Thomas Shabbat, colon, he's been totally elite. These are the options in the poll. He's been totally elite this year. He's been very good this year. He's been average. Or he's played poorly. Those are the four options I gave. And uh, what would your answer be? And what's your projection for what everybody else's answers, most common answers were?
1: (laughs) I would say he's been very good this year. And I would think that's probably what's going to win your poll.
0: You are correct. 44.6% said he's been very good. And then 37.1% said he's been average. So that's a pretty big number. And if you combine it with he's been average and he's played poorly, we're close to 50% of the fans that voted on the poll that think that. Average no. or poor, 50%. But 44.6% was the biggest number individually. Uh, that he's been very good, and only 6.2% said he's been totally elite. So even objectively speaking, that's a disappointing thing to see because you're hoping that in your first year of your contract, eight years, $8 million a year, you're hoping that more than 6.2% of your fan base is watching this guy and enjoying him and saying things like, man, that guy is totally elite.
1: Well, okay, but 50% of the people are happy with him right? Yep. It's 40, 44% say he's been very good. So very good to elite. It's, it's half and half. I think there are probably people out there who have very high expectations. And then there are other people out there who are towing the patience line. Yeah. Um, I, I, you got to keep looking at the surrounding cast. It's not very strong, especially on the blue line. He's yet to really, like let's face it who's going to be his long-term partner i don't think it's currently on the roster that needs to change but his underlying numbers are very good and um yeah he he will be an elite defenseman we just need to be patient let's not wade redden him out of town here
0: if there was a uh, a fifth write-in vote you can only have four on twitter by the way as far as options go and ah. i thought i presented that as fairly as possible but there was a lot of people who said, I want a fifth option. And that is he's being played too much. And, uh, I don't know. Is that the entirety of it? Like play him less. He'll now be totally elite. Um, I I question that. I would say that he, yeah, I would agree, you know, somewhere I'm in the somewhere between he's been very good and he's been average. And it's been a case of depending on what night you catch me, you know, and wouldn't I catch Thomas Shabbat? <laughs> yeah, I think in fact I'll go to the poorly card if you're going to just break it down game by game because he's had some really poor games. But in the big picture, yeah, good to average, uh, and not and and disappointing. I'll, I'll put the disappointing word in there as well because because of what the expectations go with that contract, and uh, and it's not like he's in his first, second, third year, um, and maybe that falls a little bit on coaching as well and development, um, whether that's uh, You know teaching or whether that's consequences or whether that's ice time management some of that can fall on coaching i think
1: i would agree yeah the the coach controls your minutes the coach controls the system the coach controls who's on the ice with you and who you're on the ice against um but it's interesting you 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 go more between very good to average and i'm more very good to elite (laughs) that's kind of interesting well, uh, I mean, the,
0: the whole poll is interesting, right? That yeah, you have half the poll going
1: either totally elite or very
0: good, and then half the poll going average or very poor, and so it's amazing you have that many people that 50, 50. are that absolutely split down the middle for the same guy.
1: Yeah, he's uh and and it, it make I don't know it's it is it is surprising, but it's not. How many times have I said that now? It's just <laughs> about different things that we've talked about. Like I I can see the number of people who. Watch the game, and are like ex- the expectations that come with the salary, that come with the minutes played, will affect your uh your vote here. If you just sit in the stands and watch the guy play, or sit at home on TV and just watch him do what he does, you can see a lot more elite things from him than you're ever going to see poor things from him. So anybody who voted for poor, uh, I'm sorry, you're you're completely out to lunch. Um, I just think that that he is an elite player. The question is, can he be a consistently elite player in the NHL night in, night out? And if so, what's the right number of minutes that he needs to play to maintain that
0: level? And this, you know, this is all the mastery of coaching. Um, There is no... There's no one right way to do things, um, and everybody does things their own way, and uh, it's a fascinating process, as you well know. And on the coaching front, um, you know, I do have some concerns. Uh, I mean, I see some ongoing problems that aren't being fixed right now. You know, it seems clear to me that Thomas Shabbat is tired sometimes on the ice, and uh, that's when the stuff that the people who aren't big fans of Shabbat's play this season that's when they're going sideways because Thomas Chabot is out there playing tired and mistakes occur as a result of it. And so they seem to be a little resistant to dialing back his ice time. Like, And I'm like, why? The season is lost. You're second last overall. You still have a great chance, by the way, at number one overall. And Buffalo's you know, not far back of you. As bad as Buffalo's been, four or five points back. So just do what needs to be done right now, whether it's playing kids, whether it's – You know, playing Shabbat less, whatever it is, just go ahead and do that. Whatever's best for the rebuild. Um, And and you look at other problems that are ongoing, aren't being fixed. We talked about having no answer for the superstars on other teams. Uh, Power play breakout, like that long neutral zone drop pass. Uh, I think you can agree with me, Greg. Like, it's clearly
1: getting worse, is it not? Execution's horrendous. Yeah, I just, there's nothing wrong with the play. There's nothing wrong with the the decision being made that we should be uh, employing this slingshot back pass breakout. They're just their execution is horrendous. Yeah, consistency is horrendous. The whole point of a power play breakout is to gain center ice with possession of the puck. The next step is to gain the offensive blue line in possession of the puck. I think if they just dummy things down and say, okay, boys, let's just work on a simple goal of having numbers and having possession when we cross center. And then our next goal is let's make sure we do whatever we have to do to have numbers and have possession when we cross the blue line and just come up with something simple. I think that problem goes away.
0: Whether it's a a new solution, uh, whether it's not being able to teach the current solution, because I'm actually a fan of it. You you see it over and over again, the whole league's using it. And there's a reason for that because it's really effective, but the sends just suck at it. (laughs) <laughs> and and, and I, I just I don't know if that's a learning disability, um, or, or if the if the coach just can't get get things through to these guys. Like it just it's it's gotten to the point where it, it's ridiculous. Some of the ongoing issues, the way they're not getting any better this late in the game. You know, if it was a normal long season, we'd be halfway through the season, and and some of these things should at least be showing improvement, and and they're not. And the answer in the past week, one of the you know fairly dramatic things they did to try and make things better let's fire the goalie coach. Pierre grew was fired this week and replaced with Zach Burke, who is a uh, former Tampa Bay lightning goaltender and worked with DJ Smith, by the way, uh, with one of his OHL clubs. I think it's Windsor uh, back in the day. And so it was Oshawa. Was it Oshawa? <laughs> My apologies. Then. One of his OHL teams. I should have left it yeah. at that. Um, <laughs> anyway. So Burke is the new guy. Pierre grew is out and the timing's interesting because over the last month, uh, the Sens goalies have been actually very, very good. Um, what were your impressions of Pierre Grew's dismissal?
1: Yeah, I'm just, it, it, the stats for Matt Murray, he's been in decline for a long time, um, but has not, surprisingly, has not declined uh, from last season, despite how poorly you might think he's been this season. Um, he His numbers are about the same. Like, he's played 25 games or something this year for the Senators. If you look at his stats from his last season in Pittsburgh, his last 25 games in Pittsburgh, they're about the exact same. Um, So, at the worst, Pierre Grew has kind of kept things status quo. with Matt Murray, he hasn't helped him get any better. Um, Obviously, your goaltending coach has as much to do with your development of your goalies, too. So, has there been some effect negatively on uh, Mandelise, on uh, Decord, on anybody else down in the minor situation? Does that play into it? Um, Zach Burke uh, does come from, he's with the Arizona Coyotes, so he's worked with uh, Joey Decord's father, who's, of course, a goaltending coach. Maybe that plays into it. Um, I really don't know, but you're right. It is. It just seems strange. I I don't know if it's a scapegoat or if he said or did something to tick somebody off who who really
0: knows. Right. Yeah. I don't know about the scapegoat thing and I'm not, uh, you know, asserting that I'm just putting it out there as one of the many possibilities. Like you think about you, you try and walk a mile in Dorian's shoes and he goes out and gets Matt Murray in a good faith way, thinks he could be the guy for the team, signs him to a big contract, goes to the owner and says uh, hey, I'm looking at doing this. Guy's won two Stanley Cups. He's only 26. Are you down with that? It's going to cost you, you know, $25 million or or yeah, four years, $25 million, I think is the number. And, uh, and you had to talk your owner into that probably because we know, you know he's frugal. He doesn't want, to, doesn't want to spend if he doesn't have to. And he did. And now you need to answer for your actions. Maybe you have to do something. I don't know. I'm, I'm not saying that that's what happened, but I think there's you know, all possibilities can be looked at. DJ Smith maybe just wanted his own guy. You know, he's obviously got a history with Zach Burke, as we talked about, though I'm not very clear on it, obviously. Yeah. Um, then you also have, it could be, maybe Matt Murray just said, I, I don't get along with this guy. I yeah. I mean, I don't see eye to eye on this guy. This guy, what this guy's telling me is not working for me. And so if that's the case, you're obviously going to favor the guy you hope going to be your core guy, your superstar goaltender moving forward. And if he wants a new goalie coach, well, you'll probably try and accommodate him because it's making you look awfully bad if this guy continues to scuffle.
1: Well, I've, I found an interesting quote from DJ. Um, he said uh, of Zach Burke, uh, apparently they, he had not been in close contact with him recently, mm-hmm. but he did say that um, he played net and he played in the NHL. That's something I was looking for. Right. A guy that's been in that mental spot. He has stood in the net and knows what it's like to lose his game and get it back. So maybe there was some friction there with, uh, okay, uh, Matt Murray's lost his game. You're the goalie coach. Help him find it and get it back, and uh, maybe that factored into it. Right,
0: and the and the last element, and and you know want to be fair and balanced in our conversation here. It may well have just been that Pierre Gru wasn't getting the job done, and I mean you really don't know what's going on behind the scenes. And, uh, but even from an outsider's perspective, there was, until the last month, ironically enough, there really was nothing dazzling happening over the last couple of years in goal for the Ottawa Senators under Pierre Grew's watch. And that's a reality.
1: Yes, but they've been so much better as a Has the goaltending been better of late or has the, the roster selection, that the lineup they put on the ice been better, the defensive awareness better, the, the D-zone play better. There's so many other factors. Because Matt Murray's been out of the lineup, we really don't know um, if his earlier troubles were due to so many other things beyond him that now that things have been fixed a little bit and are a little better, that he might have been enjoying the same sort of uh, streak of success that uh, some of these other goalies have been lately.
0: All right, let's close it out today with a quick word on Shane Pinto. He's about to become an Ottawa senator. He's in quarantine right now, which is an unusual way to be kind of immersed in the Hobie Baker Award hat trick, top three finalists for college hockey's greatest individual honor. Instead of gathering at the site of the NCAA Frozen Four and awaiting the announcement with anticipation, you had Shane Pinto in an Ottawa hotel room on Friday, just waiting to be cleared to join the Senators. And uh, being in on the event virtually, and everybody expected Cole Caulfield, the uh, Wisconsin sophomore Ford Montreal Canadian. Um, everybody expected he'd be the guy led college hockey with 30 goals this year to get it, and he did. Caulfield beats out Shane Pinto, and uh, but still, that takes nothing away, right, of Pinto from Pinto on the unbelievable year he he had and uh, he was uh, the player of his year at his conference and uh, a first-team All-American. And Sens fans should be excited to see what this guy's all about.
1: For sure. And, and uh, well, Let's be honest. This was Cole Caulfield's – it was a gimme. I don't think anybody expected anyone but Cole Caulfield to win the uh, the Hobie Baker this year. Um, any other season, if uh, Caulfield wasn't in the, playing in the NCAA, I think Shane Pitto wins it. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing him play if he can have a, deb- a debut like Caulfield just had, I, he scored twice in his uh, American Hockey League debut debut at Laval the other night. It'd be nice to see Pinto step into the senator lineup the big league level and uh, and step right in and contribute right away. I, I look forward to it. And if, as we said earlier in the show, if a Chris Tierney gets moved out of town, there's a nice lineup spot waiting for Shane Pinto.
0: No question. Yeah, and that's why I think the, the from you know, of all the reasons we talked about why there might be a deal I think that might be the biggest just to you know kind of clear some space out for some of these younger guys coming in and uh and Pinto looks like a, an absolute blue chipper and uh he was the first guy in the 8 year history of the NCHC to be a unanimous pick for the league player of the year sure. honors. so that's pretty cool stuff
1: All right. Here's a guy. Here's a guy. One more. Sorry, Stevie. One more. Here's a guy who won 60% of his faceoffs. You don't think that's going to help the Senators? You don't think that says, okay, we're going to play him at center? I think when he steps in, he's going to play center, not wing. Mark my word.
0: Yeah. No, it's uh, the the possibilities are getting exciting. And you think about what Pinto can be, what Josh Norris may be, and even, you know, Tim Stutzler. Who knows? Maybe this coach or the next one decides that uh, if he wants to play center, he can go ahead and play center. He's that kind of skill level, so yeah, the future looks bright for the Ottawa Senators, despite some of the lingering dark clouds that are, you know, never seem to quite dissipate with this franchise. But uh, like I say, most of the stuff is looking good moving forward. Greg, uh, so what's uh, what's up this week for the uh,
1: Slave Lake Ice Dogs? We uh, got a couple of games. <laughs> we are we're back on the ice for practice uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we play Friday night and Saturday night next weekend. Nice. We'll love we'll an update for you next weekend, pal. Yeah,
0: my uh, my coaching is long at the window, so um, I'm just more watching more hockey. And uh, but I have a great tip for you: the double crunch cheddar jalapeno ruffles. Very strong. <laughs> oh, Fair. Okay. Now, that's a substantial chip. Put hair on your chest. I'll tell you what. <laughs> anyway, we'll look. Uh, we'll look forward to what's going on in the next week. Um, and maybe I don't know. Maybe uh, if you're up for it, depending on your week. Maybe we get together and talk a little bit about what the Sens did at the NHL trade deadline in the next couple of days.
1: We'll try to schedule something in for sure.
0: Good stuff. We'll talk to you next time.
1: All right, buddy. Thanks. Bye now.